life that we have in Christ. So if you would please stand with me out of love and reverence for God's word. We'll be reading just two verses, Ephesians chapter 5, verses 1 and 2. Hear now God's word as he speaks to us. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children, and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Let's pray together. Oh, Father, would you remind us of your great love for us? Would you transform us by that love? Would you empower us to live out that love as beloved children? And we pray these things, these things in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Imitation is part of who we are as human beings. You see it in kids, particularly. Um, some of the funniest things that you might see or cutest things from kids, sometimes even the most tragic things, are when they, uh, you see a mirror of yourself, things that you have done, you've, things you've said, echoed back to you. And this, uh, this reality is captured well by the great theologian Calvin. And by that I don't mean the reformer John Calvin, I mean the young precocious boy in the comic strip Calvin and Hobbes. In one such comic strip, the dad is searching for his glasses and he asks his wife, honey, have you seen my glasses? And she says, no, I have not seen them. At which point the young Calvin walks in wearing his father's glasses and in his best fatherly impersonation says, Calvin? Do what you hate, because being miserable is part of building character. To which the father says, do I really sound like that? And that is kind of a reality that we see. Sometimes our kids echo back to us things that uh, we want to hear, things that we don't want to hear. It's imitation is part of our life. It's part of how we learn. It's how we learn how to speak, how we learn how to act around others, how we learn how to be in public. And even as adults, imitation is, it doesn't stop with us. We're always looking for role models, ways that we can live in a way that's um, effective in our culture, in our society. And when we come to this passage in chapter 5, you know, we've been talking about how um, since in verse 25 of chapter 4, Paul said that we are to put on this new life that is created in the likeness of God. Here we see this command that we are to actively imitate our God, that this new life that we have actually comes as a result of imitation, imitating our great God and that great love. And so um, even the summary of all these passages that we've been looking at from uh, chapter 4 verse 17 could be summarized as this. Imitate your beloved Heavenly Father. Um, and so we're going to put a fine point on what our text is saying today is simply this, that beloved children imitate their Heavenly Father's sacrificial love. Beloved children imitate their Heavenly Father's sacrificial love. And so I think we could divide this passage as we're being imitators of God we can see actually a, the triune God at work in this particular passage. We are to uh, love in imitation of our 
Heavenly Father, as beloved children. We are to love one another as beloved siblings of the Lord Jesus Christ, and we are to love one another with the spirit of love. And so Paul begins the passage, he says, Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children. So students, we've talked about this before. When you see the word therefore, it ought to trigger in your mind that it's connected to what came before. And what Paul has been talking about is this put off and put on. Put off the way that you once lived and put on the new life in Christ. And he says, therefore, with all those commands, be imitators of God. Now, the Greek word for imitators is the word mimetai, from which we get our word mimic. So God is telling us, Paul is telling us, that we are to mimic the the heavenly Father that we have. We are to imitate God. Um, But then he says this. It's not just imitate uh, in, in some abstract sense. He says, be imitators of God as beloved children. Not just as children, but as beloved children. What a wonderful statement that is. Because we've worked through all these commands. If you remember some of them, be angry and do not sin. Let the thief no longer steal, but let him work. Um, Put away anger and put on tenderness. Don't let any corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only what is useful for building others up. And it can be easy for us to get bogged down into rules. Law for law's sake. What Paul is saying is that, no, this is, this is a relational thing. You are imitating God as beloved children. So, friends, think about that for just a second. You, you are beloved children of your Heavenly Father. You were, we talked about this in Sunday school, you were adopted. If you were in Christ, you were adopted into the family of the Almighty God. Not because he saw a wretch, but because he saw someone that he loved and he wanted to show his love to you. And you're not a second-class child in the family. You are given all the rights of being united to his son, Jesus Christ. You have a full inheritance in him. He, the eternal love that he has shared with his son, God the Son, He now lavishes that love, that same love, on you. That tenderness. It is a a perfect love. It is an eternal love, an immutable love. It is an unchangeable love. It is a matchless love that is directed to you. And as the tenderness of a father, he says, imitate me. Imitate my love. Be like me. He has adopted us so that we would know his love. We would experience his love and be transformed by that love. So let me ask you this. Do you, do you really believe, do you know that love? Do you really believe that the Almighty God loves you that way? With a, a, a love that preceded your birth, that from eternity past, his loving gaze was on you. 
that before you had done anything good or bad, even while he knit you together in your mother's womb, he loved you with a passionate, intense, purposeful love. Even when, when you were rebellious against him, when you wanted nothing to do with him, and you know your past, you know all the things that you did before you came to Christ, even then, your heavenly father loved you. And he was guiding you. He was protecting you. He was caring for you. And in the, in the, con, in the, the right point in time in your life, he revealed his love to you. And he adopted you into his family so that you could call him father. So that you could love him back and live out that love. And he promises that he is going to keep you and sanctify you. That's make you holy, make you into his likeness from here on out. And his love, he has, he has always loved you. And he's always going to love you. Always. It's eternal. He's never going to stop loving you. He's never going to stop working in you that which is pleasing in his sight. He's never going to stop warming your affections toward him. And that love has to transform us, has to transform you and me. He wants, he wants us to imitate that love. He's, he's ready to lavish that love on you forever and ever. And because our Father loved us, so his Son loved us. It says, uh, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So, we are to walk in love as Christ loved us. So God so loved the world that he gave his only son, but his son didn't come begrudgingly. We, we just read it that uh, Jesus did these things. He obeyed his father out of an expression of his love because of the eternal love that he had had with the father. He obeyed so that he could express, he could give flesh to that love. And it says he Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. So it was the Lord Jesus Christ sacrificed the eternal blessedness that he had to enter this this experience that we we know. The pain that we know. The he he wanted to become like us to know us. So that he could redeem us, so he could save us, but also so that we could see what this love really is. A love that is willing to endure the painful, agonizing, humiliating, torturous suffering for another. He didn't he didn't need to. He didn't need to suffer. He didn't need to die. He didn't need to be tortured, but he did. He didn't deserve to be humiliated or cast aside, but he was. And he certainly didn't need to be forsaken by the Father who loved him from all eternity, but he was because he wanted to demonstrate, he wanted to love us with that kind of love that only can come from our Heavenly Father and so he did those things, and he came to show us what it looks like when the Father whispers in our ear and says, 
I love you, my precious child. This is how much I love you. I love you enough to give up my son. And the, the son says, Father, I will, I will love them with that love. I will lay down my life for them. And beloved, that's what your Savior has done for you. He sacrificed everything for you. Everything. So that he could show that he would, there's no extent he would not go to bring you into his family, into his father's family, so that you could receive the lavish love of your father for all eternity. All eternity. Do you believe with all your heart that Christ loved you? Yes, you, specifically with that love, with a purpose to save and bring you to his home. He does. He did. And he will forever. But kids, notice that it doesn't say that Christ loved you. The Bible doesn't say that here. It doesn't say that Christ loved you. What does it say? It says Christ loved, somebody say it, us. Christ loved us. Why, why is that important? That's important because Christ did not come to save individuals. Christ came to save his people, his family, his brothers and sisters. As us, as 21st century Americans, that's, there's something for us to, to hear there. That his purpose, God's purpose, was to save for himself a people, a kingdom, a family, brothers and sisters who would be saved together so that as Jesus loved us, we ought to love each other. Isn't that what he's said all throughout Scripture? This is my command for you. This is what we read in John 15. My command for you is that you would love one another. Jesus Christ came to save not just you, but your brothers and sisters. Not just so that you could be in his family, but so that you could be in this family. So that you could know the love, so you could express the love, so you could, he says, walk in that love. Walk in that same love that has been lavished on you. You can express that love to your brothers and sisters. So you can be an expression. You can be a manifestation even in this time of that same love with which he's loved you. So when Paul says um, walk in love, I think we can see that from two different standpoints. Obviously the first point is to bask and to be transformed by the love that has been shown to us. But secondly, and probably more to the point in Paul's mind here, is that we are to walk living out that love by the power of the spirit of love, that same spirit that was in Christ as he loved us and laid down his life for us, that we would have that same sacrificial love for one another, that we would love one another as God in Christ has loved us. Um, Imitation, like I said, is part of our existence. It's, it's, it's part of the way God has created us. And if you think about it, this whole section where we are being um, conformed to the image of our God is really, we could summarize it as, be who you were intended to be. God is commanding us to imitate God and be who we were intended to be. Because from the very beginning... We're told that we were created as God's image 
in knowledge, righteousness, and holiness. We are created to be in perfect fellowship with our God. But you remember the great lie from the father of lies? You don't need God. You take this fruit, you eat it, and you will be like God. You'll know good and evil. And that lie that we can be like God, that we can have something, all the benefits that God provides apart from God has been the plague of our existence from here on out. We, we strive for conformity with anything but God. We strive for independence and uniqueness in and of ourselves. We want some kind of majesty and glory and blessedness that it just comes from us of our own choosing. And yet, what's clear through the pages of Scripture is that our greatest fulfillment and joy is not when we are independent and unique from God, but when we are most like Him. When we understand, when we express, we live out that love that He has given to us. And our, our, our existence ends up being this jumbled mess of conformity and independence. I mean, we... We, we start from a very young age as kids, and we look up to our parents, and we, we say, man, our parents are so great. I just hope that when I grow up, I am like, like my mom or like my dad. And then we become teenagers, and we start to see our parents a little more clearly as we mature, and then we say just the opposite. Man, I just hope I don't end up like my mom or my dad, Any, anything but that. And yet, it's not like we stop trying to conform. We just look for different things to conform to, different role models. And they're usually the things that people that have what we think we want. They're popular. They're cool. They got money. People like them. Um, and, and so we pursue after that. And we, you know, we, ch- we change the way that we dress. We change the way that we walk. We change the, the jokes that we tell, the way that we walk, the way that we talk. Everything about us, we conform to that likeness. And even as adults, we do the same thing. You know, I've got to dress the right way in the workplace. I've got to have the right kind of resume. My kids have got to do the right kind of things. I've got to conform to those people that have those things that I want because that's where I'm going to get it. And it, it be, we're copycats. It's part of our DNA. And the issue isn't that we copy it isn't that we imitate. The, the issue is what it is that we are copying, who it is, and, and, and what we're trying to get at. Because they say that imitation is the, the highest form of flattery. Scripture would say imitation is a form of worship. That we, are, we imitate those things that have what we want. And... Uh, there's psalms like Psalm 115 that talk about those who make idols. That uh, you know, the idols are deaf and dumb and mute and all those other things. And it says that those who make them will be like them. Like the things that we, we become like the things that we love. The things that we pursue after. And we imitate them. But what, what God is saying is that he is inviting us, even commanding us to say, he's saying, be like me. Come, come, my daughter, my son, imitate me. Become like me. Share in the fellowship and the love and the joy and the blessedness that I've had from all eternity. 
it can be yours. We want to be like God without God, but God says, no, I'm going to give you myself so that you can be like me because that's the only place that we're going to really find that fulfillment and that joy. So he talks about love. Um, We should ask, well, what kind of love is he talking about? And it's clear, I think it ought to be clear to us that we're talking about sacrificial love. It says that Jesus loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Jesus is giving himself up for us. It's a sacrifice. He hung on the cross as a sacrifice to satisfy divine justice. Paul says that it was a fragrant offering, like the offerings, the sacrifices of the Old Testament that burned and Scripture says we're pleasing, a pleasing aroma to the Lord. And here Jesus has willingly sacrificed himself as a fragrant offering for us. Um, and what he, when he says walk in love, that, that same kind of sacrificial love is what he's calling us to now. And isn't that what we've seen in Scripture? We just read it in the law passage in Romans chapter 12. But now, rather than a sacrifice that lays down their life by dying on a cross because satisfaction has been made, now we are to live as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. And as Jesus said in John chapter 15, no greater love has someone than to lay down his life for his friends. No longer must we lay down our lives for our friends because Jesus, our great friend, has died for us. But now we live as living sacrifices. It's it's as if Jesus was the, the, the living one who came and laid down his life and was physically killed on our behalf. And in place of that, now with the new life that we have, we are to leap off the altar and live out our lives in the new life that we have in Christ as living sacrifices, no longer no longer destined for death, but now destined for life with a new lease on life because of what Christ has done for us with joyous service um, based on the gift that we've been given in Christ Jesus. And, and friends, you know, when we talk about Jesus and this imitating the example, it's critical for you to remember that we don't just look to Jesus as our example. We do look to Jesus as our example because God has set him up as a perfect example for our life. But we need much more than an example. We needed a Savior who would sacrifice himself for us. We needed a Savior, and Jesus has, been, has done that for us. And so what we're talking about here is having been set free from the penalty of our sin, penalty of our death, set free from God's wrath, how then shall we live? And the answer is with loving sacrifice for one another. And if we were to roll back to Ephesians chapter 4 and all those put off and put ons, aren't those all expressions of how we can live in a way that's sacrificial towards one another? I mean, consider, let the thief no longer steal but let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. The call is to work so that you would have something to give. 
That's a sacrifice, a sacrifice of time and energy and gifts so that you would sacrifice money. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you. That's sacrificing the hurt and the control of past offenses for the sake of unity and love and forgiveness. And so on and so forth. We go, go through that list. They're expressions of how we live out that sacrificial love to one another. And in fact, I, I bet if we thought about it, to have a biblical definition of what it means to love, there's a necessary element of sacrifice in that. Love is not merely an affection. It is an act of sacrifice and giving of one another. Just as Christ has given to us, that's how we're called to live before one another. And I hope you see this sacrificial love is the centerpiece of this passage. We are beloved children of God. We are, uh, Christ loved us, and we are to walk in that love as we've been uh, filled with the spirit of love. There's a Trinitarian trifecta, if you will, as God the Father is loving us, Christ the Son is loving us, and we are walking in the newness of life in the spirit of love. And it makes sense because our salvation is centered, the centerpiece of our salvation is God's sacrificial love for us. God so loved the world that he gave. He sacrificed his son. The Lord Jesus Christ, the son of God, laid down his life, sacrificed for us. And the spirit works that, that sacrificial love in our hearts as we cling to Christ by hope. And sacrificial love is the centerpiece of our sanctification. We just talked about sanctification in Sunday school today. And if, here's a, a good Lord's Day uh, assignment for you this afternoon, is if you go back to chapter 4, verses 17 to 24, the Apostle Paul, if you remember, was talking about all these things that the Gentiles do. He says, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do. Well, if you go from verse 25 all the way through the end of this passage, you see a reversal of almost every one of those characteristics, every one of those things. There's two that I want to call out. He starts off by saying, you must no, no longer walk, you must no longer walk as the Gentiles do in the futility of their minds. But here in verse 2 of chapter 5, he says, now walk in love. Don't walk in the futility, but walk in love. And and secondly, in uh, somewhere, it says that they were given to, the Gentiles were given to sensuality. The sensuality was the height of their uh, idolatry and departure from God. But here he says that we're saved because Christ gave himself for us with this command, this implicit command, that we imitate that same love. So rather than giving, being given to sensuality, self-serving pleasures, we are to give ourselves for one another. And if you'll accept it, sanctification, our sanctification is imitation. For us to be sanctified, we imitate our Heavenly Father. We imitate 
the love of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are conformed to his image. God, and, and this is primarily in his love for us. God just doesn't express love. God is love. And so for us to be holy as he is holy means that we are conformed to his, that manner of love. We take on that love. We live out that love not just in our hearts, but in every aspect of our being, with the words that we say and the way that we live. Isn't that the great commandment? That we would love God with all of our heart and soul, mind, and strength, and love our neighbor as ourself. And doesn't Paul say that in 1 Corinthians 13, that if I can know every bit of Bible doctrine that there is, if I can speak in all sorts of tongues, but I don't have love, I'm nothing. It's irrelevant. Love is the core, the nucleus, the linchpin of our entire faith, and that is the love that has been expressed to us and has been, that has saved us and now transforms us. And that same sacrificial love, finally, would be, we should say that it's the centerpiece of our unity in the Spirit, the unity that we have with one another. If you remember, Paul has been, had been exhorting from the beginning of chapter 4 that we have been united together in Christ. We have been joined together as brothers and sisters. And he says, be eager to pursue that unity. Well, how do we pursue that unity? What, what, is, the, what is the nature of preserving that unity? Not creating the unity. The unity is already there by God's Spirit. Preserving the unity happens through sacrificial love for one another. So let's put a fine point on this as we begin to wrap up. Thinking about this for Zion, we have been, we've been a church now for a little over six months. The Lord has blessed us in many different ways. You know, we've been pleased to be able to worship each Sunday morning, uh, on a regular basis, we have a Sunday school program, men's, women's, youth, kids program. We've even been able to do a little bit of outreach. We've had Bible studies, leadership class. How do we move from being 17-ish families that show up together on Sunday morning and do stuff together to having the type of unity and community that our God promises. And I guess the question for us is, what is real Christian community? And I don't mean what does church mean in the 21st century, how we've grown to define it with programs and stuff like that. I mean, what is the, what is the picture of biblical unity and community that we have throughout the pages of Scripture? That God... God not just exhorts us to, the prescribes for us, but actually promises us. And I would, I would assert to you that what it takes is sacrificial love from each one of us for our brothers and sisters in Christ. It is tender-hearted love and affection that sets aside bitterness and anger and pursues unity and forgiveness. It it requires speaking the truth in love. Even it means knowing the truth, 
growing in our knowledge of the truth and being able to speak and encourage one another, not corrupting with our talk, but building one another up with the truth. That means having a knowledge of each other, taking the time to know how we can encourage one another. You can't encourage somebody unless you really know and listen and care and think through how to actually build them up in the truth. It means caring for each other materially and spiritually. That means knowing what our brothers and sisters need. That's a sacrifice of time and attention and focus. It means being grace-filled and overlooking offenses and idiosyncrasies with the expectation that our loving Heavenly Father, your Heavenly Father, put these brothers and sisters in your life for your good, for your benefit, so that you would see a glimpse of His character and His love in your life. It's a, I think it takes a, every one of us willingly and joyfully living sacrificially before one another. It's the, imitating the love that our Lord Jesus Christ gave as a pattern. And it's imitating the pattern that we saw in the book of Acts, where they sacrificed themselves for each other. It's a beautiful picture. It's what I pray earnestly for, for Zion Presbyterian Church. And I would ask that you join me in praying for that very thing. It's the type of church that if that was us, Visitors come in and say, the Lord is really among you because there's nothing more beautiful and glorifying to our Lord than to reflect and to speak back that love that he has shown to us. That's my prayer. I am convinced that by God's grace, if we faithfully live that out by the power of the spirit of love, living in us according to the pattern that has been expressed to us, this promised gift of ours will be ours from a Father who truly loves us. Let's pray together. Father, uh, thank you for your wonderful gift of love. Thank you that you love us enough to keep reminding us of your love and that you work your love in us. Thank you for your son, Jesus Christ, who expressed that, who spoke of it, who spoke the truth that we might be built up in it. I pray that your spirit, even the spirit that dwelt within your son, which dwells among us, which unites us to him, which unites us to each other, would help us to grow in love, courageous love for one another. I pray that we would do this to be pleasing to you and for our benefit. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.